1: Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball, part of the Just Baseball Network. As always, I'm your host RM Layton, and in today's episode, we have an awesome interview with Astros prospect Joey Loperfido who had an awesome year offensively. You may remember he came on the podcast just before last season talking about some of the adjustments that he made in the box and some of the things that he was doing with his swing to try to broaden his window of opportunity and also tap into more power and he did just that this year. He had a phenomenal season. I think one of the best seasons in the minor leagues period that didn't quite get as much attention because he was in Low-A and High-A, but I thought he showed more than enough to get the bump to Double-A as we know there's a lot more at hand than, you know, just being able to perform and climb. There's guys at, you know, the Double-A level that if there's no room, they don't want to cut down your ABs and those are all things we talk about. It's all things that I get into with Joey because Joey put up a 166 WRC plus in high A in 26 games and was easily ready for a bump to double. And he was doing it for a long time in low A, 82 games last year with a 142 WRC plus. Launched nine homers in those 82 games and also stole 30 bags. And when you also look at what he was doing in high A, it was even more consistency there. And we talk about how he was able to kind of kick his game into another level in high A. And if you want to look at the slash lines there, Low A, 304, 399, 473. And then he gets that bump up, and in the 26 games at the high A level, 354, 434, 552 slash line. So really just leveled everything up at that more challenging level in high A. The guy just hits the ball really really hard seventh round pick in 2021 somebody that i watched closely on the cape as well and he's always stood out the ball has always just come off his bat a little bit differently he's obviously a very good athlete he's 6'4 200 pounds but moves really well he can play center field left field right field second base first base which we talk about a lot as well i know he looks at himself as you know wanting to be able to play every day center field but also prides himself on being able to play all of these different positions and being such a good athlete and it was fun to talk to him about that as well but it was really cool to see him just consistently tap into that power and a big part of that was you know cutting his stride down a little bit he would have the tendency to get heavy on the front foot and just hearing some of the fundamental adjustments that he had made to really be able to tap into more impact as well is without a doubt one of the more fun things to be able to do on these podcasts and Joey a guy that played at Duke played with Matt Mervis who was recently on the podcast as well And I would say those are two guys that really got impacted by the 2020 cancellation, because I think both those guys would have had really nice years at Duke and, you know, kind of parlayed that into the 2020 draft, which ended up being shortened as well. So they were really impacted by that. And of course, as we saw, we saw Mervis sign as an undrafted free agent and we saw, you know, Loper Fido get drafted in the seventh round of the subsequent draft which I I loved that pick at the moment. And I think it looks really good right now because I would argue that Loprefito is a top 10 prospect in this Astros system. And I know the Astros are really high on Loprefito and there's good reason to be after what we saw from him last year. And I think what we're going to see from him going forward this season. Without further delay, here is the interview with Astros prospect, Joey Loprefito. So I'm joined in person by Astros Prospect. I don't have a position. Usually I say position. You played everywhere this year. Joey Loperfito. Joey, congrats on an awesome year. Thanks for coming into the office and thanks for joining the up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It feels better. I uh, don't have to worry about my, my parents' house Wi-Fi connection this go around. So it feels good to be in person.
1: Yeah, well, it was still a great interview. We talked just before spring training, which was... Right before you were, or right as you were working on a lot of different things with your swing, and we just talked about it before we were recording, but you talked about it on that episode a little while back, and people can check that out on the call-up as well. But what was interesting is I felt like you, you called your shot to a degree. You didn't say I'm going to you know, hit over 300 between low A and high A and hit 12 home runs and steal 33 bags, but you did say I feel like I'm going to have a lot more power. You were sending me some videos during the offseason, and it looks really good. Uh, you probably had no idea that you were going to hit as well as you did, though, and I would love to just hear from you. What did you expect going into the season? I know you expected it to be better, but, you know, how much did you exceed those expectations or you know, what was your mentality going in and where do you feel you were at now at the end of the year looking back?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was really excited for the year just because, you know, I I felt like I didn't put my best foot forward in the 16 or whatever games I got to play coming out of the draft. Um, and I just felt like the whole time, like, that's not me. Like, this isn't the way I play. Um but going into camp, I mean, I knew I'd put in the work. I knew and I trusted kind of the process of the adjustments I would made to my swing. Um, and I think either you or somebody else had asked me, you know, what are your goals for the yeah. year? Uh, and my mindset was like, I don't want to put a cap on what, I, what I, whether I could hit five home runs, 10 home runs, or 50 home runs. Going into things, you know, I've worked hard enough on my swing and in the weight room and nutritionally to kind of earn the right to not put a cap on myself mm-hmm. and... Just kind of know that at the end of the year, no matter what the stat book said, that if I was healthy and I played a full season, I think that kind of the adjustments I'd made to my swing would statistically work out and I'd be happy with, you know, what I was able to do. And, and what did you feel like you made the biggest jump in this year? Because again, it's such a hard
1: sample size of 16 games. I know you weren't happy with yourself and you talked about that on our last conversation about how just you want, you were excited to prove that you are a much different player and you are excited to show you know the Astros and Astros fans you know what they got here and you did that this year but what did you feel like
2: the biggest leap was for you this year like what was the biggest change um aside from like the mechanics of the swing I just think I was able to be consistent this year I think my routine starting from when I woke up in the morning to when I went to bed put my mind and my body in a position to be successful and get hits pretty much every night um I felt like I used video a ton during the year. I love video just because I think that's – you can't really, like, lie. You can't cheat no. yourself, and you can't, like – you can look at the video, and it's immediate feedback. Um, so starting in, like, early work in Fayetteville, I have an iPad up, and I'm recording pretty much everything I do. So every day I record my routine. I record BP. We have pretty much recorded. Um, when I show up for early work, there's a computer. and I can watch all my at-bats every pitch from five different angles from the night before. Um, and that preparation and the routine of that preparation over 108 games I played makes it easier for me to when anthem happens, first pitch happens, I'm not thinking about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so before the game, whether I went 4 for 4 or 0 4 I can sit there, I can watch it, and I can say, all right, I did this well last night. I think I could do this better. This is what we're working on in the cage. This is what we're working on in BP today. And then by the time the game starts, I can trust my athleticism, trust my instincts, and kind of leave that stuff away. And then if I have a good game, bad game in between, whatever, I can show up the next day and I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I did a good job of freeing myself up so where when the game starts, I could just kind of compete and just play. So we talked about it before we started recording, but you made some mechanical adjustments
1: that really kind of helped you tap into a, a lot more of that power that you've always had in the tank. I mean, we, we saw it. I got to see it a lot on the Cape with wood. Uh, when, when you hit one, you, you really hit one, yeah. but it was, it was trying to get into that consistently. Right. And uh, you hit 12 home runs this year, which I, that wasn't even the focus. Like you said, the focus was just get hits, but some of those home runs were, were rockets and you look at the average exit VLO way up 90th percentile exit velocity way up. Uh, and you, you flash some big time, you know, big time homers. Can you talk about those mechanical adjustments that you made, you know, without getting too deep into it? You, you gave us the yeah, little breakdown, but no, for, we can for, for, the average, for the average listener, just, you know, what, what you were able to do to tap into that power. Because you're, you're a tall dude, you've got long levers, you're an athletic guy, uh, and you've been able to kind of get that to, to use that to your advantage and leverage that into producing more power. And a little bit of maybe who you draw some inspo from to build into that as well.
2: Yeah, um, I'll give a, I won't go down the full rabbit hole, but I'll go half rabbit hole. Um, I think, one, whenever I talk about hitting it's and talk to other hitters, there's just like a baseline level of respect for anybody trying to hit or get better at hitting. Hitting's really hard. Yes. And to do it as pitchers are continuing to use technology to get better and better, it's only going to get harder, which is kind of a cool perspective on where the game's going. But if it's already hard and it's going to get harder, I think that as hitters we just have to give ourselves the biggest window to be successful, and I think – with me, mechanically, that started with having a more foundational lower half, a more repeatable move um, that let me use the bigger muscles in my body to deliver the bat into the zone and yeah. to keep it in the zone for as long as possible. And that kind of like philosophy lends itself to be a little bit more adjustable, whether it's fastball, changeup, curveball.
1: And I'm always talking about swing breakdowns when I'm trying to convince those who are listening to the podcast on why X prospect is going to break out or why Y prospect is struggling or whatever it may be. Can you talk about what those cues are for you when you're in the box that what you, or I know you're not thinking about it when you're in the box, but what are the cues that you are looking at? Like, this is when I'm going right. These are the things that I want to be going right physically.
2: Yeah. And I mentioned it a little bit before. I think that a lot of adjustments are, is just kind of syncing up what your brain is telling your body, like, what position you're in. So when you're you, you're learning a new movement, I've swung the bat, I don't know, a million times in my life. Mm-hmm. Last offseason, I started swinging the bat a new way, and it felt so weird. And so trying to sync up, okay, I think I'm in my back hip, I think I'm in the back leg, and then watching the video, and you're really not. You're not. Yeah. And not, it, like, you're, it essentially feels like you're in, like, this deep, deep, like, oh, let me get my back hip. And you're really just in your quad, or, like, you're not even using your muscles efficiently. So for me... A couple cues is, like, okay, stay in my legs, which is just, like, if I have two strikes in me, I don't want to get out front and, like, wave at a back foot slider that I would ground out to first base. Like, that's not going to help anybody. Stay in my legs is one I use. Kind of a 60-40 weight on my back leg as opposed to my front. Um... I'll say hip-flip, I'll say hitterish. I'll say me and the guy I hit with during the off-season essentially have like our own language of stuff, and yeah. there's like 20 different, depending on the days. Um, but that's kind of what the challenge is. It's like, how can you keep it really simple to the point where if I take a swing in a game, I can go, okay, I felt that, like, boom, this is what I need to think, go. And that's why I think it's so interesting to watch Harper hit and how he's progressed, one, because he's been in the league since he was 18, yeah. to now. And all the success he's had, and how much he kind of tinkers and will like adjust. And even his wide out, like no two strike, I don't no don't stride. Ask stuff. ask you next. Which I love. I love for the first three weeks I swung a bat this off season. it was pretty much all no stride. I'm still kind of no stride. Because right used now. to be a big, you used to have a pretty big stride. Huge, huge. huge. Stride. huge. And you get on your front side in that window that I'm talking about, you make it smaller and smaller and in smaller. And, out of the and zone. it's already hard. And the bat drags and there's
1: power. And that's the thing too, is I think you talk about the back, the back hip, the improvement with staying there you can really see the difference in how much you're impacting the baseball, right? Like, did you feel like the ball was coming off your bat differently this year than it really ever has?
2: Yeah, and I still, I mean, I knew during the year I was doing a good job of being consistent, and you had texted me after a good game or something, and I, I mean, I knew I was playing well, but in my mind, it wasn't just like an, like some unbelievable, like out-of-body, good experience. Like, I was just doing the work, and I'd put in the work and had a good routine. And so that's what's motivating for me. It's like... I feel like I'm doing the right things. Uh, I feel like the organization has an understanding of what I do well and kind Mm -hmm. of the player I can be. And now the challenge is just continue to do the work, continue to do the right things every day in the cage, in the weight room, in the kitchen. And I think good things will continue to happen.
1: How much do you watch Bryce Harper um, as like a reference point? You just showed
2: (laughs) us a couple videos. You
1: have one of of his swing, um, but then also it zooms in on his like hips. Which is a really important thing to look at because you were talking about like how what he does, even if he wasn't swinging a baseball bat it's, a, it's an impressive feat of the human body, yeah. the way he's able to you know kind of contort himself and, and stay in that backside and, and be so elastic and use that as, as just a way to build up tension. Um, is Bryce Harper like for you that gold standard, and is there anybody else that you like to look at and, and draw you know swing uh, inspiration from
2: to me, he's definitely gold standard and When I started making these adjustments, once you see it and once you, even in my swing, once I started to see like, okay, this is my move, it's like obsessive. Like now I'm like obsessed with not just like the swing part of it, but also just like the move of it. And so I'll be in the grocery store or like, (laughs) I don't know, we were at dinner the other, this past Saturday night talking, hitting me, Jimmy Griffin, uh, my roommate, Chad. And I looked over and they're just in the corner of the restaurant, like doing like the, the moves, um, and I hit with Ed Charlton at PPC in Pleasantville uh, in New Jersey, and he'll send me video at, like, Tuesday at 11, 11 p.m., and he's just in his kitchen, like, doing these moves. Um, and so that's why I think Harper's so impressive, because not only is he an elite player, but his movement alone is, like, I don't know, just unbelievable. And so once you, for me, like, I'll look at video. If I'm on the train right here, I, was, I have an album on my phone with 100 videos of just swings and, like, moves, and hitters, righties, lefties, BP, and I'll just, like, watch it. And even awesome. myself, not to be like, oh, let me remember when I got that hit, but, like, see right if I'm knows. bored, or, like, if I hit a double last night and it was a good move, like, I'll watch it 20 times and just, like, kind of visualize that just, like, in my head, no, okay, I felt that. That's what it looked like. Let me try and do it again tonight. Yeah,
1: I just had Pete Crow Armstrong on and, and with the Cubs, and he was talking about how he will – try to almost wipe the bad swings like he knows what he did wrong at this point and he'll just watch the good swing and watch it and watch it and watch and just try to reinforce it and video seems like with with what we have at our disposal now with with what you guys have especially uh you know and I know the Astros org specifically is very big on that from the pitching perspective from the hitting perspective of you know being able to use all those camera angles to your advantage how nice has it been to be a part of an organization that is, is is so good at building talent, Uh, there's no coincidence that they are really, I think, a dynasty at this point with how much of the homegrown talent we've seen kind of climb up. And I I know you feel like you're in good hands and, you know, having this great year and continuing on this track now where, you you know, you can see the trajectory. How good do you feel to be a part of not just the the reigning champs at the big league level, but also just an organization that knows what they're doing from top to bottom. And, And can you feel that already?
2: Yeah. I mean, you could feel it. You could spend a day at our spring training and kind of feel that. and what's cool is it's, like, I think that that kind of culture bleeds down from the big league team all the way to the complex league team, and at the core of it, it's good people. Like, the people that they hire in player development and the people in charge of kind of formulating that successful farm system all the way up to the top, everybody is a good person, and you could, I knew that week one. I was like, wow, everybody I meet here, it's, like, shocker, like, the Astros hired these people, Um, but it's fun. I think to know, as a minor leaguer, that you're with an organization that knows what you can do, knows the vision of what you think you can do beyond the player that you currently are, and that knows how hard you work. Like, you can't really ask for much more than that. And
1: it's a thing, too, that, you know, people that I've even talked to around the game and said, oh, yeah, the Astros are really excited about Joey Profito," And and I know that you, you feel that as well. And what what you did this year was, was really impressive. And I was getting a lot of questions of, like, you know, because, again, I after we had you on the pod, a lot of people were following along and they're seeing what you were doing in low A and then saw what you did in high A, which was insane. You were hitting 400 for, for a, a large stretch there. That's probably one of the times I texted you. You had like four hits. You're hitting like four something. <laughs> it was it was laughable at, at, at that point. Uh, but, you know, there's a million reasons why... Organizations do what they do in terms of of the depth charts, and I know it was something that you weren't worried about. Uh, was it the fact that the Astros have always made you feel like you know you are a they they know what you're capable of? Like you said, that you know led you to be a little bit maybe more patient as a guy that you know I'm sure you felt like you could perform at the double A level by the end of last year. But I, I really admired how, how patient you were through it all.
2: Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think. The truth of it is that the Astros have a ton of good players. And, you know, if you have a good farm system like that and it's full of good players, you're not just going to be able to jump a level like at the snap of a finger. Um, And I understood that and I knew kind of to that point, although I'd made all these adjustments, I hadn't really shown it on the field yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But during the season, you know, you're doing it every day. You can't really, to the best, you have to do your best to not really go down that rabbit hole of like, is this going to be the week? Is that going to be the week? And sometimes it's easy to do that, and sometimes it's hard. But I think if you can just kind of put one foot in front of the other, take it day by day, I know that's super cliche. No, it's. But hitting again is hard enough. And even playing defense and being locked in on a daily basis and trying to be consistent in the box is hard enough. Um, And I was fortunate, like, I had a good support group of just my parents and my buddies and my friends in the game. Like, when you're playing well, it's like, all right, like, I want to just continue to challenge myself. I want to get to high A. I want to get to wherever. But I don't know. It doesn't always just happen when you want it. Um, but things ultimately work themselves out. And My hitting coach in Fayetteville, uh, Jose Puentes, did a great job of just kind of keeping me like level, keeping me in it and just be like, he called me Mario. <laughs> he would just go, ready, Mario, stay ready, stay ready. And he kept me positive through it. Um, but no, I knew it would eventually happen. Um, And when it did, it happened at the right time, and I got to play almost a full month, month and a half up there. Um, And you proved that you were ready for it. Yeah, and I knew it. And I, you know, in my head, like, okay, when I thought I was ready for high, I'm sure it was soon. I thought I was ready probably out of spring training. But it's like I feel like you kind of have to think like that to have success. And, again, hitting is hard enough. And if you think you're not going to hit well, then you probably, you, probably won't. Won't. you probably won't hit well. So
1: you mentioned the, the defensive side of things. And what's really cool about that is you've been able to play all over. And in this past season, you played second base, you played center field, you played left, you played right, I think even a little bit of first base. Uh, where do you feel like you, your home is, though? Because I know there's a value. We talk about how there's so many all-star level players at the major league level that don't have that one set position that can move all over. And there's so much value to that in today's game. Uh, But as someone that's trying to climb through the minor leagues and, you know, I'm sure you're always feeling out like what your identity is, where do you feel like your true defensive home is? Or do you take that pride in being that, you know, super utility guy, which I
2: think has a new, uh, should have a new connotation to it, right? Utility is not what it used to be. I think I used to reject the thought of being a utility player. Just I think that in my head was like less cool. Yeah. Maybe when I was a freshman in high school. Um, but as someone who can play a couple of different spots, I think the word super utility, which maybe is more... <laughs> Just
1: put super in front super of utility that looks better. Some
2: Steve, <laughs> I, I would feel comfortable calling myself a super utility as a label. Um, but no, I think that this past season, as I played a couple of different spots, as the year went on, I got more and more comfortable at each of them. Um, and I felt like my play and my metrics, which they track for us on the GPS, all kind of trended better the more comfortable I got. Um, so, no, I would feel comfortable embracing that super utility role. And I think, too, one thing that's driving that is the way that pitching is changing. I mean, I don't, I try to stay away from those guys as much as possible. But um, kind of as the year goes on and as you get into the postseason and rosters change, if one guy can play – four or five different spots, maybe you can bring two bullpen arms that otherwise you wouldn't have been able to yeah. if you have like a first base only guy or an infield only guy and not somebody that maybe can do both of that in the outfield.
1: How hard is it to develop though uh, defensively when y- your reps are technically limited at a certain spot, right? I-, I think, you know, center field is where you played predominantly and that's where like if you're Playing every day, I would assume that's that's your most comfortable home at this point, right? Center field, would you say? Yeah. So you know, you always want to get better there. You're talking about getting reads, routes. They got the GPS trackers. You also don't have as many reps as maybe another center field prospect because you're playing left, you're playing right, you're playing second. Um, it, it helps you to be able to continue that that development of the versatility, but at the same time, you're not getting as many reps, you know, at that center field spot. Uh, do you put extra reps in and and live reads off the bat and batting practice? Like where are you putting the extra time in when you're not in games on the field?
2: Yeah, it all comes down to pregame and it's hard. It's difficult to, as the year goes on and your body may not be feeling great to like take 15 minutes a day and go work on defense. But going back to the Astros and the people they hire, the development coaches at Fayetteville blue and then, uh, Ram, who I worked with in Asheville, are unbelievable. And even the managers, like my manager would be like, "Joey, I want you to take uh, 10 balls in center. We'll do reads and then come here. We'll do your infield routine. And like, I'll hit you ground balls and like, we'll work on it together. And even in high, a, the manager the same thing. And so when the people who are with you every day are on the same page as the organization as a whole, and I know that everybody is on the same page of Joey, we know you're going to play six different spots this year, and it's your first time playing most of these professionally. It's not going to go perfect. And I can just kind of every day try and get a little bit better at each of them. That makes it a little bit more manageable. Mm -hmm. Because two, it's like, okay, I'm a position player. 95% of my thoughts throughout the season are going to be hitting focused. And then like if you boof a ball in the outfield, you'll be like, oh, crap, and kind of think about it. But like, you're still a baseball player at the end of the day, and there's so much value in that. That's one thing that kind of moving into this offseason, I was like, last offseason was all hitting. Like, I want to do more defensive stuff. I want to get creative with reads in the offseason, how I can do it. And uh, MTA guy in the development staff with Houston got creative enough to where he was pitching to me an idea of, like, if I can't get outside, go stand at the back center panel of a cage while somebody's hitting BP and like go through my prep step progression and try and read like in a cage where like off the bat and just get like a step. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll come through guys will kind of like cycle through the development department and come like maybe they're there in Asheville for a week and then go to Corpus for a week and they'll work and get hands on and be super creative with kind of the defensive side of things. So at the big league level, this was a, uh, a pretty, I would say inner conflict-driven
1: World Series for you. So, you grew up a Phillies fan, and I know you were at some of those
2: playoff games. I was. I bumped into our player uh, director of player development, Sarah Goodrum, at the game. At the game.
1: (laughs) Where, I don't know if you were wearing any Phillies gear, but you also... I was
2: dressed neutrally. She was didn't have any Astros things on. It was like seeing a teacher like, in public. I, when you were, she like, didn't have an Astros hat on, and I was like, Sarah? It like, took her a second to recognize me in street clothes. Um, but no, it was funny. I was uh, there with a couple other guys I play with, and I don't know. I mean, I would even talk to her and joked with her. She was like, you're dressed neutrally. And I was like, yeah. But um, I think for me, that 08 team... I was in fourth or fifth grade playing Little League. Watching those guys play that autumn, I think, was my moment of when I really was like, all right, I love baseball. Yeah. Like, I looked up to the Chase Utley's, the Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard. Yeah. And that team, top to bottom, not only were they really good and won a lot, but it was kind of a clubhouse of, like, some characters and, like, some real guys' guys, which, yeah. as a fifth grader, like, I loved them all. Yeah. And I thought it was awesome. So I credit that team to kind of—and where I was in life— kind of why I wanted to get into baseball and so it was cool to see those guys um kind of competing against guys that I see when I walk to the backfields of spring training this past year and played a little bit alongside in a couple spring training games
1: so you have that kid in you that you know is always going to root for the Phillies but also you got you know the the professional in you that's part of the Astros organization and and you know you're obviously rooting for the organization you're a part of and hope to be you know contributor to that very very soon um what was it like watching the Astros succeed at that level, you know, at the big league level, winning the World Series, all of the talent that they have? And, and you know, they're not going anywhere anytime soon because they're going to be <coughs> with guys like yourself, but also have their core locked up for a good deal as well. How motivating was that for you to, to look at that and say, you know, I, I want to be a part of that very soon and help, you know,
2: keep this dynasty rolling? It was incredibly motivating, I'll tell you that. I was sitting there and it was a fun day and we were there with a bunch of my friends, but kinda the games itself were all really good baseball games. Yep. But in the back of my mind during all of it, I was like, wow, like if watching this atmosphere and watching this like caliber of baseball doesn't make you wanna go get in the cage tomorrow and continue to work to try and get there, like I don't know what will. Um but one of the big league spring training games I played in, um I remember David Hensley was a bat who's also a utility guy, and I forget who I was sitting next to, but it was before I got put into the game and you're just kind of chopping it up. Um, and somebody was talking about him and they said, you know, what's funny about him is he just believes like he's that good. And I remember like that just nugget of information kind of stayed with me. And I was at game five, the game after the weather delay. And I think it might've been his first start in the World Series, but I think he went one for three with a knock, single off the middle. Um, and he might've been started at DH that game. And so watching it, it's like, wow, like, he believed it, obviously. He believed it, Spring he's, training.
1: he's probably starting in Had the World Series. Had a great
2: Series. year in AAA, and now he's starting the World Series. And that's a year after, I don't know, a year out from when he was last in the minors. Or I think he played AA, full year AAA, and then was up kind of later this year.
1: Which was insane because there was was a level of, I remember, you know, when when he was in that lineup and people put the lineup out, they're like, I'm not familiar with this guy in the World Series. And he raked all year, raked in his big league stint, enough to prove that he belonged
2: in the World Series. He's now helping them in the World Series. And And so for me, seeing a utility guy do that in the organization was like, all right, this is a fun game to be at as a fan and also like... I want to be on the field next year when they're in the World Series. I want to help the team win any way I can. And so for me, it was really motivating.
1: How cool was that big league spring training opportunity? I know I know it's it's short and you you're probably feel like, you know, player number 30, you yeah. know, on the roster. But at the end of the day, you're sharing a dugout with these guys, you know. And, and it's probably one of your first times really doing that, sharing a dugout with guys that you've been watching forever. I mean, like... I don't think he was injured at the time. Michael Brantley is, like, the first example I can think of because that's a guy I've been watching hit since I was 10 years old maybe. I don't know. He's been in the game for forever. Like, did you ever have that moment when you were at spring training or maybe it was at that big league spring training game where you're like, wow, I'm amongst these guys?
2: Yeah, it was an awesome opportunity. Um, I think that and experiencing those games where you're kind of like the first time I was up there, I was like, whoa, like – here, here and I have my jersey. Granted I'm number ninety seven, so I'm not and there's no last name on it. Yeah. But um it was really cool. I remember I noticed like the snacks that they had up there were just like next level than what we get <laughs> and I picked up they had these little protein waffles before the game and I was like, I'm not gonna go until the six, like let me take a couple of these to like watch. And I picked it up, and it just had said Altuve in Sharpie <laughs> in it. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to eat that one. Yeah. And I put it back. Um, that's a
1: moment, though, where you're like, whoa.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and then that was game one. Um, and I got to go in later in the innings in that game and made a play and right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like an hour ago. I felt like I didn't belong here, and I'm like starstruck. And then you get into the game, and it's just baseball. So it was a cool opportunity. And also kind of to play with those guys. I mean, that's what you're working towards as a minor leaguer. And they give a lot of guys in the minors that opportunity to at least get one or two in during spring training so that you can, I don't know, acclimate yourself to where if game one I was walking around putting out Tuve's protein waffle back and like making sure no one saw me, game two, it just kind of felt normal and it was just kind of baseball's baseball. So I got
1: to kind of ask you a similar question. It's a little earlier this time around, but uh, you know, I think it's, it's definitely a much different circumstance now for the better. Uh, what is your goal going into next year now because you proved that you could do it at low a. you proved that you could do it in high a and, and albeit a smaller sample, but your numbers were even better there. And actually, before I get to the goals i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna stop real quick and ask you how you were able to hit better from low a to high a and then I'll ask you the goals question. but y- your numbers took a jump in high a and I, that was something I remember I wanted to ask you is you talked about it briefly before we started recording, but Low A to high A is a, is a big difference in, in, in competition level pitching-wise, right? I mean, the pitching gets a lot better at that high A level, but you're, you were as good as ever. You know, how are you able to, to level up as you leveled up in terms of your ability and, and, and matching that competition?
2: I think for me, kind of the timing-wise of where it was in the season, it was after the All-Star break. There was probably seven or eight weeks left, maybe even six weeks left in the whole season. <clears throat> I think I, at that point, just had such a good idea of my routine and what I had to do every day to put myself in a position to be successful. And also, my approach at that point in the year was pretty honed in. Um, and also, for better or for worse, I felt like the high A arms were generally more around the zone. So, where in low A, maybe there's really good stuff, but maybe less control. I thought the stuff was around the same in high A, but guys were more controlled around the zone, which is almost easier to, I mean, when you get to two strikes and it's like, I don't know, 99 up and away for a ball versus like a change up, two balls off. Like with two strikes, I'd rather have the change up, two balls off. And I'll kind of like flick it the other way. Um, But I would say more so just my approach at that point in the year with 80 whatever games under my belt being pretty honed in and pretty fine tuned was probably why. And now
1: to the goals question, you know, doing what you did last year, excelling in so many different ways and, and building on your game in so many different ways. What's, what's the goal for next season
2: for Joey Um, I'll do a long winded answer. Uh, Last year around this time they sent out a questionnaire and it was kind of what are your goals for the season? Mm -hmm. And I put, I think our hitting coordinator sent it out and I put, I want to wake up every day And when I look in the mirror, see a big leaguer. And fast forward a year from when I filled that out, I would say that I reached that goal. And when I'm going about my work in the cage, when I'm in the weight room, when I'm making lunch for myself, like that's kind of what I see. And moving into next year, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to, I said before the show, like I don't like to put the numerical expectations on myself, but... If the big leagues are the goal, then that's the goal. And I think it's kind of as simple as that for me. So whether that happens this year, whether it happens, I mean, that's not really in my control. But what I can control is doing the right things and every day kind of going about my business in a way that I think ultimately that'll happen.
1: Got to ask you about the bags. You stole 30 in low A. It's a little bit harder in high, but you stole a few more there. Uh how much do you think stolen bases can be a part of your game? Because that's something that we're seeing creep back up in the minor leagues with the new rules, and now we're going to see those implemented at the big league level. And and I know you pride yourself on being able to do a lot of different things on the baseball field, and you can move. Uh, How much is is that going to be a part of your game, or how much do you want to see that be a part of your game?
2: Um, It's something I've always wanted to be a part of my game and something that I think I can do to add value to a a game or a club. Um, And so I think it'll continue – it's really just math. Like it's, it's, I hate to say that, but like when coaches, your high school coach talk to you about stealing bases, I'm sure every single person heard like even the chubby guy can steal bases if he gets a good jump. Like it's kind of true. And like, I wouldn't steal off guys that were quick to the play. I just wouldn't go. And our first base coach blue was great about giving me times. And we'd have a game plan of, he'd be like, Hey, if I tell you anything above like a one three five or like anything one four, like in my head that's like the base is pretty much already stolen. And now I feel like guys don't pick off as much and even with the pick off rules. um, and I'm sure, you know, the arms behind the plate are better as you go up. The times of the plate are generally better as you go up. But still, I mean if you're on base a lot, there are gonna be a lot of opportunities to where a guy's a one four three to the plate. And then it's like, okay, in early work, base running I'm getting more and more comfortable getting an extra half step, an extra step, an extra two steps in my lead. At that point, it's um, X however many feet off first. I have to get to that distance by the time that that catcher releases the ball and I'm safe. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I thought more of it like that than, like, oh, this is a good time to run given, like, a lot of context that, like, isn't really important.
1: Have you thought about the the kind of player you envision yourself being at the big league level or – Do you kind of just see it as I'm going to play my hardest and to the best of my ability and whatever that shakes out is, that's who I am?
2: Yeah, I don't like when I can visualize myself playing the big leagues. I don't think about me like myself being a certain type of player. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a player that can impact the game in a lot of ways. Um, And I think I would love to do something exciting every night when I'm on the field, whether it's a hit, whether it's a play in the field at whatever position you would like or stealing a big base or doing something. I think if you can impact the game and you try to impact the game positively every night, more often than not through the course of a season, there'll be a lot of opportunities for you to do that.
1: Last question I always like to ask, and I feel like the Astros might have as many uh, hidden gems, and you're one of them, as as any organization. Uh, Although those who listen to this podcast, you are not a hidden gem from. But who are some guys in the the organization that you've been around that you you, you feel like are extremely talented that, that may not be getting the, uh, the notoriety or, or the buzz. I look at the Astros, look at the Braves. They just churn out big league talent, but guys that aren't on the top 100 list or whatever.
2: Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I will say Jeremy Pena was at the complex rehabbing a wrist injury, I think, uh, like the week I signed and we went down there kind of to, to get accustomed to things and you could just you could watch him do a box jump and be like, this guy's gonna so, impact the the big league club. They called him like the Martian or something. he has like a whole bunch of nicknames. Yeah.
1: But. So real quick, actually, it was really funny. I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. Is I was really excited about him. I was digging up all the video from the year before before he got hurt and really high on him. We had him high on the prospect rankings, and I was looking to make maybe one of my more aggressive like card investments I've made in a long time. And I texted you. I was like, I don't know if you're going to see Jeremy Pena, but insider like... Training. Insider trading. Insider trading. I was like, if you, but I was like, if you see him, you know, let me know, let me know uh, what you think. Cause I'm really high on him. And I'll never forget you, you texted me back and just go buy all the Jeremy Pena stock you yeah. can. And I mean... He, he turned out to be a superstar, but that, that was a hidden gem as well, right? Like, that's a guy that was not getting a lot of buzz until he did. Uh, yeah, is there anyone else that, that stands out to you in the system like that?
2: Um, I think, like, they're, the system's so good, and I don't know, I don't read, try not to read those yeah, articles, but I think the system's never really ranked towards the top, no. and that's, like, shocking to me, because you go through a day, and, like, even the guys that I lived with this past year, I lived with uh, Quincy Hamilton... Um, spent a lot of time with Will Wagner when we, that low eight Shriked. year rate. And it's just like, where do you, where, how long do you have? Um, but I'm living with, and I hit with and work out with Chad Stevens this off offseason. Um, me and him are really close. And he kind of struggled alongside me that first kind of short season he stint right after we got drafted. Um, and he put together a really good year in high this past year. And he missed the past monthish; ish uh, He was hurt at the end of the year, but he, in my mind, he's probably the best defensive infielder I've ever played with. He, I'll send you the link of the clip. He has made some unbelievable plays in the field. Um, and he too kind of after struggling made a couple adjustments and even this off season is making some adjustments too. Um, and to go through it with somebody like that and then to see them kind of put in the work and kind of try and get better every day and how they approach every day and handle their business. Um, I think, you know, it would be my goal to play up the middle with him and He's more than capable defensively. I'm still locking in my routine every day on the infield. Uh, but, no, I think Chad Stevens for sure.
1: Well, I'm really excited to see you continue to do that, man. Um, we'll, we'll see where you're playing more. It's going to probably be, you think, center field next year. Is that? Is that? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. I love it. we'll, we'll find <laughs> out. But offensively, that's what you know every day. You know what you're doing. And I'm excited to see you continue to build on that, man. Thanks for being our first in-person Guest to the call up in this new office. So hopefully we'll be able to do more of this. We talked about maybe doing like an in-person cage situation yeah. as we scale up the YouTube. So I would love to do that with you at some point this off season as well, because you have some pretty awesome progressions and yeah. some things that you I got to do it
2: to. with Merv too. We I know get Merv when we just had
1: there. Merv on the pod too. So I would love, we could all get together and, and, and try to shoot something. I think yeah. it would be a
2: blast. We'll the, that back to the one last snippet, the Hensley story about, I just heard in the dugout, somebody saying like, Oh, well, he thinks he's that's good. That's what the Mervis stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that he is the epitome Mervis of Mervis has <laughs> thought he was that good and knew for, that he was that hitter since the day I met him my freshman year at Duke. And that's the, like, when you see somebody who believes in themselves to a point of, like, outward rudeness, which was for Mervis at some point, <laughs> but that's just Merv if you know him. But, again, I lived with, didn't live, but I lived with him in Kalamazoo uh, in the Northwoods for a little bit uh, my, after my freshman year. And then we played together in Katuit after our sophomore year, driving to get food every day, spent every day with him. He thought he was that hitter. And that summer, he was, he, right. showed, he was right. He showed it. But when he had all his success this year, I called him after the year. Or I saw him in person maybe a month ago when he got back from the Fall League a couple weeks ago. And I was like, dude, I'm just proud of you. Like You knew you were that hitter. And pretty much no matter what anybody said to you or no matter what happened, like you never wavered in that belief. So I think at the end of the day, that's the cool part of seeing your buddy succeed is like you go through it and you know how they're thinking and you know, I don't know. What how, go- much,
1: how much of that would you say is, is like the key to success? Obviously you have to hit, but that's, how much does that factor in?
2: I think that's pretty much it. I think if you're convicted <laughs> enough to know or at least convince yourself that you're doing the right things on a daily basis, even if it's not perfect, I think you can, to an extent, will yourself into being successful especially in this game yeah. you can kind of just trick or you can tell yourself you're a good hitter and just kind of go about it that way it's hard
1: enough as it is right? It's hard and that could be the is. separator
2: and and like you said you
1: feel like when you look in the mirror you see that and uh, the results are evident on the baseball field as well so I'm excited to see that continue into next year and you know, hopefully end with a big league opportunity by the end of next season but dude really pumped to see what you keep doing and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with the offseason hopefully we can pull off one of, these, one of these cage episodes yeah let's get in the cage please. but thanks, thanks for, for joining man appreciate it of course
2: it.